you know, in uh, temperament. And just ask me, what, what do you think about Calvinism? And I'm like, ugh, let me get my eyes open. That's a very good question. Yeah, right. And uh, she was getting ready to go on a maternity leave and go out. She was attending a church that was teaching some things that she didn't agree with. She knew that I was a preacher. Um, I hadn't even, I don't even remember witnessing to her. I've been, you know, just drugs and morphine and everything else after surgery like that. But um, God allowed me to witness to her. I can't even remember her name. I just remember the event. <laughs> but you never know. When God allows something in your life, He allows it for His purpose, His honor and glory. And if we're holding this forth, someone's going to receive what they need because we're where we need to be. Not every person you talk to, witness to, or shine the light to is going to get saved at that very moment. Yeah. However, if you are not shining the gospel, you could be the reason why someone doesn't get saved down the road. Uh, we want everyone we talk to to be born again. I, I want them saved every time I talk to them. I wish I could just convince them, choke them, and say, you're just going to die and burn in hell, hang them over hell. But that's not our job. We're only the vessels to present the word uh, most effectively, live before them. I may go and I may plant the seed. You may water the seed. Someone else is going to come along and God will give the increase. But Paul and Apollos, one planted, one watered. God gave the increase, but your reward is not based upon the number of souls that got saved. Your reward is based upon your labor. Getting out there, shining in the light, your gospel shining out from you, you living a testimony, that is going to be a tremendous reward. Souls are going to be saved because of you. Some will choose not to be saved because of you. That's on them. Your reward is based upon you doing your labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter how catastrophic the events, then I... I would not wish what I went through with anyone. But no matter how catastrophic it is, we have an opportunity to shine the gospel and someone is going to receive something from God because of where God placed us at. If you've been with us from day number one, um, then you've noticed that the messages have been progressive. If you're here for the first message, you may have scratched your head wondering, where is he going to go with this? <laughs> but I was just drawing it. I knew I had four messages to go, so mine were a progressive line of messages. Um, intentionally, lay out the context. Context is key. We can go and preach application from the Word of God, and we need to. There's things in the Old Testament that obviously we're not living under the Old Testament law, but the Old Testament is for us. Understand the context so we can draw the application. That's what I was doing with uh, Philippians 2 and verse 16. And that direct context has to do with the man of God. It has to do with their leaders. And they're, they're rejoicing based upon you following their faith. And we jump into Hebrews 13. Following their faith. Going after what God has led you by the man that God placed there. You're not going to agree with everything. Um, and I wouldn't expect everyone in our church to agree with everything in our church. Everything in what we're doing. But one of the requirements for church membership, I trust it is the same thing here, is we have a constitution. It's about 24 pages long. Um, it's very in-depth. And we require everyone to, they may not agree, baby Christian, they're not going to understand half that's written in there in the first place. Uh, but that's a document based upon this right here. And we are then committing our loyalty to God and our salvation our loyalty to his church, which Christ had died for, and the loyalty to the leadership in that church that they are leading and guiding in the direction that they're supposed to go. So you jump in, you jump on this train, you're going the same direction as this train. You're not going to agree with everything. Trust that as you grow in the Lord, you're going to understand more and then become in agreement with this right here. And I've told my people, I'm not perfect. I have turned around after preaching one message, went back and said, oops. <laughs> that wasn't the direction that the context really was. We're not perfect up here as well either. But as we mind the word, mind the word of God, mind the Lord, the, uh, the leading of God, the Spirit of God, we're going to do our utmost to make sure we're going in the right direction. And if we skip a beat, we get back on track and we're pointing you in the right direction. But your job is to hold this forth. And if you're doing that, then this man right here, your leaders in this church, they're going to be able to rejoice in the day of Christ, as well as you will be able to rejoice as well, not be grieved when you stand at that um, being the seat of Christ where you will give an account for your works for Christ one day. So the messages were progressive, started out with the context, then I went into a Bible illustration um, with her and with Aaron, um, then we went into a Bible explanation yesterday with the shining forth of the Word of God, and today I want to get more into the application of us let the rubber meet the road and see what we need to be doing in us today. Now, you know my preaching style. I'll, I dump, I'll back up the dump truck and I am going to load you with plenty of fuel 
so that you can be fueled up to go out and do the work of God and hold forth the word of life. Everything that's spoken from here, you may not grasp it or catch it, but I can guarantee you this, you've got the same spirit that I have. The spirit of God led me into the message for you, so there's something here that you need today, or there may be something you need in a year from now. All of a sudden, the spirit of God is going to do something supernatural in your heart, in your life. He's going to bring something back to remembrance that you never even remembered. I don't know about you, but if you witness enough times to people and you go out soul winning enough times, someone will come up with a question or come up with something. And uh, if you're in the flesh, you're wondering, how in the world can I answer that question? I have no clue. But all of a sudden, what comes to mind? The right Bible verse. Yep. The right explanation. Yep. It's not God's supernatural. We're not apostles. Um, we're, we're not the ones pinning the word of God. God does not speak in an audible voice right here to these ears right here. He is loading us up right now with all the fuel and everything that we need, that one day the Spirit of God is going to reach down into this and draw it to the forefront. And when we remember what we need at that very moment, it's not that He planted it in here instantly for you. It's that you sat faithfully under the preaching of the Word of God. And at some point, you got what you needed, and the Spirit then uses that for you personally and for one that you're witnessing too. My style is much different in revivals and camp camps. I just load it up as much as I can, and I dump it out as fast as I can. It's just, you've got the style of camps from the Philippines. I grew up on that style of camp as well. I grew up where we had preaching in the morning, preaching in the afternoon, preaching at night, and it went for an entire week. And this was teen camp. And we had 150 Bible memory verses to do by the end of the camp. We had all the other things that went on as well. Now imagine in the midst of all of this, we had running competitions. We had all kinds of sports and activities. By the time our head hit the pillow, we weren't up till midnight, like somewhere here. <laughs> there was no way we could stay up past 9 o'clock. We laid our head down and we're gone. We're totally waked out in spirit and in body. And that's what camp is supposed to be. It's a time where we are drawn out from the world. There's nothing here to distract you right now. Sadly, except the cell towers. <laughs> but there's nothing. The world is gone. Your focus is this right here. It may take one day or the second day, but by the last day of the camp, or however long the camp is, the last message, you ought to be so in tune with the Spirit of God that you're literally sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for what God has for you next. I trust that with all that we've been given today, all of the preaching that's went on today and this week that the man of God will bring and continue it. You'll have something to add to this and you'll have plenty to take back to you into a lost and dying world. Preaching can be long. You know that's Bible, don't you? You remember a man named Eutychus? <laughs> what time did he fall asleep? Midnight. <laughs> you guys were up playing games till midnight. How about preaching? And I tell you, it's hard. I, if I go an hour, I still have another hour in me. Uh, I had to stop last night. I still I, I normally preach um, eight pages of notes um, in about a 40, 45-minute time frame, but God just kept dumping it, and I still had three pages of notes to go last night. I'm thinking, if I go three more pages, we got another hour here. Um, but, but that's the excitement of the preaching, and I trust hey, that when you come to camp, that you get a hold of that excitement to be in tune with the man of God, whoever God places up here, that your spirit is so in tune that you are on the edge of the seat just absorbing and soaking it up like a sponge. Not that you're, I mean, we need to take notes, and I give you a simple outline. You need notes and reminders, but you need to be so focused on the preaching of the Word of God, it's being so absorbed because God is going to use it one day in your life um, as you go back out into a, into a lost and dying world. So, our first message, and I've given a few um, reminders of the messages for your quiz time. Of course, the quiz master got my notes, so he's got the nitty-gritty. Um, and, of course, he looked at my notes, and he probably seen the chicken scratch, scratching out different things. My notes, when I lay out my notes, I also go through them, I study them again. Then when I preach them, it don't normally come out the same way as the notes in the first place. Yep. It's just, just going and going in it, but he's got plenty of ammunition uh, for the quiz time. But for your reminder, the very first message title was Holding Forth the Word. And we looked at holding forth the Word was by remembering your pastor by following him. The second point was holding forth the Word by obeying your pastor in what? Submitting. Then holding forth the Word by supporting your pastor with one word? Saluting. So we looked at each one of those words. Uh, then we had a good uh, devotion on Friday morning. It was very fitting in Romans chapter 11, connected with Romans 12. 
which then showed kind of a theme of what things were all about. One word theme about holding forth the word of life as a body of believers is what? Teamwork. Teamwork. So then the next message was holding forth your pastor. That's where we looked at her. And with her, we saw his hands were faithful. And he was faithful in his place, where he was supposed to be. But we don't know much about her. But the second thing that we can observe about her is because he was faithful in his place, he was honorable to the future generation. His, great, his grandson went on to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The future leaders of this church are bouncing around here today. Amen. Walking up here as you're doing your things. And don't ever drink. If a child wants to come up and they want to hold my leg and they want to do something, we have to crawl all through the pews and come up and jump on the podium in our church. And the parents look, oh, I'm sorry. I said, don't apologize. If they come up here, I'll pick them up. We'll just keep on going and just keep on preaching. They need to be comfortable in the house of God. They need to be up front and personal. They actually get up on the front row when no one else does. <laughs> you know, up front and personal. They need to know and they need to see and see you that you're faithful in your place um, and you are honorable in that testimony for your future leaders. Then the message last night was shining forth the word. First we shine without altercation. And that was two words, without murmuring and disputing. Shine without accusation, which was be blameless, harmless, and without rebuke. Then shine forth with great association. And basically, our great association is centered in all areas around the word of life. We're holding forth the word of life. We are our life around God based upon this. Our life out in the world based around this. Our life amongst the brethren is all based around this. And that's the point I didn't really expound hard upon, but I'll give it to you, give it to you now anyway. Um, and then that's it. Today we have three points. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 12 through 13, where I'm going to look at a phrase called work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. In the context of Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 16, it is a four-letter dirty work to get the job, or dirty work to get the job done, and that is work, sweat, and work to get the job done for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at three points. We're going to look at the hindrance in working out your salvation. And all of this is going to be in Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13. So we'll see the hindrance in working out your own salvation, the key to work out your own salvation, then the proof to work out your own salvation. So those three points we'll kind of go through this morning. Um, we already saw the content uh, around Philippians 2.16 is the word rejoice. And if you've studied Philippians, Philippians, the whole theme of the book of Philippians is joy. And it's rejoicing. So the point that Paul is making when he's saying holding forth the word of life is going to be focused around rejoicing. And that rejoicing then in direct context is around the man of God that God put over you. We saw that illustration with her and Aaron. And uh, then we, um, today we're going to see how. And it's that word work. Philippians 2 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in presence only, but now make more in, uh, now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you to will and to do his good pleasures. So we may work down to verse number 18, I believe, and look at these three different points this morning, but the title of the message would be that phrase in verse number 12, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. As we recall, Philippians 2.16, your job is to hold forth the word of life. The pastor's job is to run and labor with you as he leads you in holding forth the word of life. And any man worth his salt is going to be uh, what, walking his talk, preaching, practicing what he preaches. So he's holding forth the word of life as he's running and laboring and guiding you to do the, to do the exact same thing. So this final message now we're going to look at running and holding and laboring. It all takes work. It takes work to be in the house of God and do yep. the work of God. And we live in a generation... Where man doesn't want to work. Man hardly has to work. If you get a sneeze today, in the last two years that is, if you get a sneeze today, or you go into work and say, oh, I think I was exposed to someone that had COVID, all of a sudden you get so many days off, hey, leave. You don't have to go to work. You have stimulus packages. You have um, uh, uh, whatever all these uh, socialism packages that went yep. on in the past two years that is money that's being paid to people that now are refusing to work. They don't want to work today in the house of God. This socialism that is in this world today, uh, Marxism attitudes in this world today, what's yours is mine, but what's mine is mine. It's not yours, but what's yours is mine. 
all of this is permeating into the church and it's taking away the one thing that we need to get the job done and that's work. We need laborers. Jesus has said that the harvest is white, but the laborers are what? Few. That was 2,000 years ago. Today, it's even fewer. The laborers are fewer. It's fewer and far between when you find a good, sound, solid, independent Baptist church. Right. I, I, I venture to say most of you here have been into several different camps here in New Zealand. Several different types of camps. And I can tell you that I can see it from my witness. This camp is different. This camp is about the preaching of the Word of God. Yes, you get to go out and you get to do but it's focused on the Word of God. And the Word of God is what's preached and preached and preached and preached. It takes work for that to happen. It takes work to organize all of this. It takes work to be able to preach all of this. It takes work to be able to sit there and sit up and pay attention and be on the edge of your seat. We need workers and laborers in the house of God. And that is the only way we are going to be able to be holding forth the Word of God. Paul now um, uh, instigates now here in verse number 12 and verse number 13 uh, what exactly or how exactly we can hold forth the word of life. And it's all about working out our our salvation. So first, um, I want to point out that Paul is speaking first to the beloved. This phrase, work out your salvation, just a little introduction, is not talking about your eternal salvation. I already said it once. You guys are only two-thirds saved. Two-thirds. You're not completely saved. No one sitting here is 100% saved today. If you were, you'd already be in heaven after the rapture. Those that are in heaven today, guess what? They're still only two-thirds saved. (laughs) They have not received their glorified body yet. They have their eternal security. They are justified. They're signed, sealed, and delivered just as if I never sinned. They're in the presence of our Savior. They're in paradise today with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just like us walking here on this earth, we are still only two-thirds saved. We have our, our, our body is still waiting for that day of salvation. This year, when it says work out your own salvation, it's not saying work in order to get your eternal life. It's talking about our sanctification. This body here, the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, and this isn't mine, I got this from somewhere, but it means, or could mean, biblical instruction before leaving earth. Imagine if you had the final exam once you went into heaven. All of your uh, eternal rewards are based upon how much you studied here. How many times you were in the house of God here. Can I give you a hint? (laughs) Your rewards are going to be based upon what you do here. You're going to have a final exam. That doesn't mean if someone got born again today, they die and they go to heaven, that they're going to be any less rewarded than someone that was saved for 70 years. Because remember, our rewards is not based upon a quantity of what we do. It's based upon the quality of what we do. It's based upon us reaching that that ability that God has given to us. To whom much is given, much is is required. If God gives you 70 years, God's going to require of you 70 years of quality work for Jesus Christ. If you get born again today and you die in seven minutes from now, God is going to require of you seven minutes of quality work for Him. And all of eternity is going to be based upon that. So our job is just simply to work and to labor, be where we need to be. When we fall, when we mess up, and you are, because remember, we're only two-thirds saved. The devil can't attack your soul. He cannot take your soul. He cannot take your spirit. But he can affect everything about this right here. All of the fiery darts of the wicked, that spiritual warfare that we don't see going on right now, is coming into this dimension and is coming after this flesh right now. He doesn't want this man to be leading you in the faith that God gave to him. He don't want you to be holding forth the word of life. He don't want you to be working. And if you fall to that, that temptation, you decide to follow after that temptation, one day you will be with your Savior, still only two-thirds saved, unless the rapture happens. That's when we get a glorified body. But you meet your Savior, still only two-thirds saved, but still all of your rewards are based upon what you did in this lifetime. However long it was that you were born again, you're just required to labor for the Lord. He's given some some great ability, but they're doing very little for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to do more and more and more. So here when it says work out our salvation, he's talking to the beloved. He's talking to born again believers. He's not talking to the world. So we are saved now to work. We all know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, if you're a soul winner, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. 
Very good. It was one of your Bible, two of your Bible memory verses today. You know the one verse that's not memorized much? Verse number 10. Verse number 10. Yes, that is why we are saved. You're not saved to enjoy socialism, the materialism. Though, guess what? I'm not going to say you can't have material. Paul dealt with Timothy. He told Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. And then he goes on a few, days, a few verses later and Paul said that God expects us to richly enjoy all that he blessed us with. If God blesses you with a new home, a new car, a new whatever, and materials, whatever it is, and it's like between you and the Savior, between you and that four-letter word called work for the Lord Jesus Christ, enjoy it. But it might be out too if it's a nice boat. <laughs> go fishing. Uh, but enjoy what it is. But the fact is, we are saved today, verse number 2 and verse number 8. It's not by our works, it's not by our materialism, but the reason we are saved is in verse number 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good what? Works. Works. We are here to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. You weren't saved just to enjoy all of the blessings of this life. And we are blessed in this nation today. I'm blessed. I got my surgeries taken care of. I got two major, two major surgeries, back surgeries, another surgery. I got what I've got up here. I can't imagine the amount of money that was spent for me to be able to stand up here and preach the word of God today. What a great blessing. But God didn't save us just to enjoy that blessing. I could be out doing something else, but I'm called to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. You're working today. You're here today under the preaching of the word of God. So we are saved. It's talking. Paul is talking about the born-again believers. Believers are born again to work. We're not, we're not born again by work, but we're born again to work. The word wherefore now, verse number 12. Working on some context for you real quick. Verse number 12 starts out with the word wherefore. Whenever you see, if you're studying the word of God, a student of the word of God, whenever you see the word wherefore or therefore, do you know what it's there for? The word therefore is to say, huh, what is it therefore? And if you find the word therefore, that means the context doesn't sit there alone. That means you have to go back a little bit. So this wherefore says, this context is not sitting here alone. Wherefore goes back actually to verse number 9. But what's the first word in verse 9? Wherefore. Wherefore. So that means the context is still not here yet. That wherefore then goes back further and it goes back to verse number 5. So as we read verse number 5, this becomes a close context on what Paul is talking about on work out our salvation. He says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow on every, uh, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is, the, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, we're going to look at these two verses, wherefore, my beloved. And that's based upon, now you've got to let your mind be in Christ Jesus because you're a born-again believer. Jesus was here that he would humble himself and become a servant, and he would work and he would labor as Almighty God. He put himself in this flesh that we walk in, that he could walk in this flesh and serve and work here upon earth. So we, we are to exemplify that. Wherefore, my beloved, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, obeyed in what? You've always obeyed, back to verse 5, you're letting this mind be within you, which is in Christ Jesus. You're exemplifying Christ becoming a servant. Now you are becoming a servant. Not as in my presence only. And that means when the man of God was not there, you still were there in your place doing the work of God. As ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now here in verse number 13, this still doesn't end the thought. I believe this whole thought goes all the way to verse number 18. Our text or our theme is verse number 16. So verse 16 says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, and I, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice 
with you all. So verse 16 was about the man of God rejoicing. He's saying he's going to rejoice. But look what verse 18 says. It says, for the same cause also do ye joy. So you have a joy as well. If you are holding forth the word of life, if you're running not in vain, laboring not in vain, because now you are exemplifying the man of God. The man of God is exemplifying Jesus Christ who came down and humbled himself to become a servant and the servant unto death that all of us now can make the mind of our mind as the mind of Christ. Now verse 18, not only is the context of verse 16 about the man rejoicing, but this overall context is you rejoice as well as you hold forth that word of life. So uh, verse 18, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice what? With me. As he goes before the judgment one day, we saw that in Hebrews chapter number 13. Is he going to give an account of you with joy? If he gives an account with joy, then you are rejoicing with him because you labored and you ran and none of it was in vain as you held forth the word of life, mimicking the faith. Remember, mimic was the definition of that word in Hebrews 13. Mimicking as you follow after his faith. His faith and what you're following is watching out for your souls that you not go to hell because you're born again, but that you don't stumble into strange doctrine is what we saw in Hebrews chapter number 13. Now, Paul is teaching us through the church of Philippi. He's teaching us about the joy of humility, the joy of humility in our service for God. So our first point, the first message was about your pastor rejoicing. Now we got to see, let's let the rubber hit the road. How then are we going to rejoice we are going to rejoice around that one word, work. You ever feel an accomplishment when you work? Yep. <laughs> That's natural. People that don't want to work, they don't understand it. They're miserable. They want more. They can't be satisfied. They're, 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 they're depressed. They're stressed. They're, they're in disarray because all they're doing is receiving the benefit, receiving something, getting something, and the benefit of socialism, not socialism, benefit and the welfare. They do have a purpose to help people. They help people that have a need. But the majority of people in this country, and I would have to say the majority in welfare in the United States of America, are lazy. Yep. They're not people that are in need. They're not the poor. They're lazy. The poor will always be with us, and we as a church need the wisdom of God to spot that poor person that literally is poor when they come through that door, that we can help them, that they can get on their way, but we're not here to help the lazy remain lazy. Yep. We yep. have to work, and that yep. we work, and you said it. I asked you, do you ever feel an accomplishment when you work? Yes. Why? Because you're a worker. You know that accomplishment. You started a job. You finished a job. You can sit back, not with pride or sinful pride, but proud. Wow, I got that done. Your wife has been after you for a job to get done for so long, and all of a sudden you're like, ha, I got it done. And you feel so good, and all of a sudden it's not done right. <laughs> <laughs> or, oh, you didn't get far enough. Or, hang on, I got more to dump on you. <laughs> but there is a sense of accomplishment. Whatever it is, if it's a hobby, if you're, you do something with your hands, you work in a job, there is a sense of accomplishment. And as a born-again believer, you ought to have a sense of accomplishment here as you labor to hold forth the word of life that you can rejoice with me, is what Paul said in verse number 18. So Paul tells us in verse number 5 to have the mind of Christ. Jesus, is, Jesus humbled himself that he could have joy. And um, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the altar and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of grace. It said in the middle of that verse, Who for the joy that was set before him, what joy was set before Christ? You. You. Soul. Why did he go to the cross of Calvary? He went up there to put you before him that we go to the cross for our salvation. So his joy was you. His joy right here, guess what it is? It's you. Your joy, your leaders, whoever has your flags. We're not sticking up today, but you guys got your flags and you guys are your leaders of the team. They have a great joy when all of you labor hard that the team does win. There is a great joy in that leadership. And here, um, Jesus comes down and he humbles himself to be a servant. That man humbled himself to be a servant, to exemplify you, to humble yourself to be a servant so that we all can have joy one day and accomplishment the work that God has given to us. To find this joy to humble ourselves in the service of the Lord. The context from verse number 5 to verse number 18 is all about 
holding forth the word of life. And that's the theme of your camp tonight, holding forth the word of life. And with these thoughts now, verse number 12 and 13, i got three points. And we'll get through them as quick as we can today. The first one is the hindrance in our work of salvation. It'd be a pretty, pretty, pretty brief point, but it's a very basic point. And verse number 12 and verse number 13 tells us exactly what, if we look at it, what the hindrance of working out our salvation and keeps us from holding forth the word of life. Verse number, the first hindrance is clinging on to verse number 12 and forgetting about verse number 13. Verse number 12 talks about our work. Verse number 13 talks about Christ's work. If we leave out God's work and all we are doing is laboring and laboring and laboring, what did Paul, what did Jesus say to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter number two? He said, you got it all together. You're dressing like you should dress. You got the camps going on. Your music is what your music needs to be. You're holding forth the word of life, the King James Bible. You can spot the false prophets before they come in the door. You got it all laid out, ironed out. You're doing it right, but I have somewhat against thee. What did he have against them? Left their first love. They were doing all of the work by themselves. A church can get caught up in that, doing all of the work, doing all the labor, doing everything by themselves. They're hanging on to verse number 12. We're doing the work of God. We're preaching the word of God. We're out souling and we're doing it. We're, 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 we're teaching about the false doctrine. We know our standards of dress, our standards of music, our standards of language, our standards of where we go, where we're not supposed to go, the type of music. you got it all lined up and you've worked so hard at it, but you left out verse 13. And that is the work of God. You cannot have an accomplishment in your work if you work that out all by yourself. Yeah. Verse number 12 is about our work. Verse number 13 is about the work of God. John chapter 15 and verse 5 says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. You can't do it. You may Amen. have something going on. And Jesus may be able to come down and say, boy, you guys have got it right down here. You are an independent, fundamental Baptist church. You don't let the false doctrine in. You're dressed right. Your music's right. But then he says, I have someone against you. Someone against you. And that's because you left the first love. That means you've left God out of the equation. You're preaching God. You're soul winning God. Everything's focused around God in your camp. But you left him out of the equation and did the work all by yourself. Branches are nothing. Branches are absolutely nothing but a frustrated piece of dead wood if it's not actually attached to the vine. It cannot produce anything. It's absolutely That's impossible right. to produce anything, yep. which means you cannot produce anything yep. without the Lord, Jesus, yep. the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said it well. He said, by self-effort alone, we will never be able to perform any good work for Jesus Christ. Romans 7.18, Paul said, for I know... What I know that in me, that is in my flesh. We've talked enough about the flesh today. The flesh is real. The flesh is a battle. But that flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And as you come to camp, and as you pull things together in your own life, if you just open up your devotion in the morning, you're only reading, reading ink on a page, you come to the house of God where you're supposed to be, but you sit there and your mind is in every other direction, you're not getting in tune with the pastor, the spirit, the preaching. You're not on the edge of your seat. Then guess what? He said to perform that which is good. I find not. Yep. You left God out of yep. that equation. That's right. This hindrance now is clinging on to verse number 12, but forgetting verse number 13. The second hindrance now is the flip side of that. Clinging on to verse 13 and forgetting about verse number 12. It's all about God, his work. It's all about him doing his work. We are led to believe that God does everything and we do nothing. He does something. He saves souls. But guess what we're supposed to do? Witness. Get it out there. Present the word of God. Now, yes, without a doubt, Romans chapter number one tells us man will be without excuse because of creation. Romans chapter number two, man will be without excuse because of the conscience that God gave to man. Romans chapter number 3, man will be out without, without excuse because of the commandments and the word of God that he was given. But man can only be saved by the word of God. Romans 10 and verse number 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How are they going to hear it? God's not speaking audibly today. He's not speaking in dreams today. 
He's not walking around etching his finger in stone today. You are his vessels. I am his vessel. It takes us in our work of holding forth the word of life that we can accomplish what God has for us and God That's can right. save souls. Can yep. God have the rocks cry out? Yep. Yeah, he said he could. Can he have the donkeys talking? Yep. Absolutely he can. <laughs> Absolutely. One day in the book of Revelation, guess, what, guess what's going to happen in the second half of the tribulation? There's going to be angels flying in the sky, and guess what they're going to be preaching? The everlasting gospel. It's going to happen one day, but today, this dispensation yep. is your job. Yep. It's my job to work with him that he yep. can save souls, and we are the vessels to put out the word of God. That is utter importance of soul winning. That is the importance of us shining forth the word of life, living testimony, living the everlasting gospel before a lost and dying world. The second hindrance then is clinging on to verse number 13, clinging to God's work alone. Oh, we don't have to change our standards. I don't have to work so hard to dress right. I don't have to work so hard to do this or do that. I don't want to put your pastor on the spot, but let me ask you a question. I'm going to stick with on dress. Um, and I will really hammer it hard. But let me ask you just one question without really getting into the, the doctrine of dress. How many times have you seen your pastor outside of a pair outside of a pair of pants? Unless it was sports or somewhere that the necessity was there. Have you ever seen him? No. When was the last time you saw your, your pastor's wife outside of a dress or a pair of clots, except where it was necessary for work and decency for sports or whatever? Have you ever? No, they're shining forth the word of life. You know what that means? He's living an example. He is living a faith that you are commanded by God to mimic and to follow. Hey. He's doing what the word of God says to do. We have to work. It is God's work, but it's our work as well. We're not saved just to sit down and do absolutely yep. nothing. We're saved to work for the Lord Jesus yep. Christ. We are in a partnership with a personal relationship of the creator of the universe. With God Almighty, with Almighty God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We become passive. We become inactive. And we become dormant when it comes, become, comes to the work of God. We have, ever, have you ever heard this phrase? Have you ever heard this phrase? Let go and let God. Yeah. Let go and let God. I challenge you to find that anywhere in the Word of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say let go and let God. You know what let God, you know what the Bible says over and over again? Hold forth the word of life. Hold forth the profession of your faith. Keep it, the word of God. Keep in the memory or hold fast to the things that God has. You need to get on and you need to latch on to the work of God, following after the man of God that God put before you. Yes, you will never find the word let go and let God. And we do not let go and let God. We work with God. We are privileged to do that. He knows what this flesh is. Guess what? He knows how wicked you are. He knows the thoughts going through your minds right now. He knows what's happening in your life right now that you still have not confessed and got right with God. And with all of that wickedness and wretchedness, He's allowing you to hold the most perfect thing He has left here on planet Earth. He's in heaven above today. But He left you in charge of this and trusted with God's right. holy way, the most perfect thing on Earth, as wicked and wretched and vile as all of us are from the pulpit all the way down to the pew. We don't let go and let God. We hold on to what God has given to us. We do it by working where God has placed us at. Everything that we need to work out our own salvation is in this right here, and we're to hold forth the Word of God. So the hindrance here is clinging to verse 12 or 13 and not verse number 13. So basically, this would be what the hindrance is. The hindrance is misplaced trust. You've either trusted yourself more than God, or you've trusted God more than yourself. We can't trust God more than anything. But when it comes to the work of God, our trust needs to be this with God. Our trust in God is this with us. He went to the cross and he put the joy before him. And that was you. 2,000 years later, he knew who you were, Amen. where you were, what you'd be doing, how wretched you'd be when you were born again. How much you would try to bring in the old life into the new life. How much you'd fall and stumble and still do wickedness and wretchedness in his flesh. He knew exactly who you were, but he saved right. you by great joy. Went to that cross at Calvary with great joy. So our hindrance, first point, the hindrance in verse number 12 and 13 is either clinging to verse 12 and not 13, or clinging to verse 13 and not verse number 12 when it's supposed to come together as a marriage with the Lord Jesus Christ. The second point, go down to verse 17 and verse 18 of Philippians 2.
the key to work out our salvation. I can say just one word. Faith. We'll see the faith. Faith. The proof. We'll see that. The work in the word proof. But the word faith. Um, in verse number 17. Yea, and if I offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. The key to your salvation is faith. The key to our sanctification and working for God is our faith as well. This word sacrifice and this word service here is not work. It's not work. These two are actually, if you study Greek and study the, uh, what words these are, these are not verbs. They're not imperatives. It's not saying sacrificing. Your sacrifice in your work or your service in your work. It's actually a noun. It's just talking about you are the sacrifice. This isn't saying you're sacrificing, but you are the sacrifice. Your service, you are a service in this house of God. The pastor, that will be a noun. Him pastoring is a verb. So he is the pastor. You are the servant. You are the worker here in the house of God. So looking at that, he says, Yea, and if I have offered upon the sacrifice, the sacrifice itself, the service itself of your faith. So the key to it all is all about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sacrifice and service here, they're marks of submission. They're marks of the humble mind of Christ back in verse number 5. When it comes to our sacrifice, we have absolutely nothing to offer to Jesus Christ. Who here right. thinks they can have anything of value? The only thing we have value is God Himself. Yep. Praise God, the only reason this sacrifice, this body right here, what you're looking at, this uh, epitome of physique, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing in this body, inside the flesh, inside me, that I can offer to God except the fact that when I got saved, the Spirit of God came in, He sealed Himself inside of me, and He is staying there until the day of redemption of this body. The day of the redemption of this body will happen at the rapture. So the only thing that God is coming back for is Himself. And He cannot deny Himself. He's never going to leave Himself. And I've got Himself in me right now. My sacrifice, I have nothing in it but myself to offer to Him except that now I work, verse 12 and verse 13, together with the Lord Jesus Christ. I work with the one that's living in me, the one that's personally saved me, the creator of this universe today. But when it comes to my sacrifice, we've got absolutely nothing worthy to sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ but ourselves that Christ lives within. Praise God that He's living in us today. As unworthy as we are, He's the one that purchased us. He's the one that bought us. He's the one that indwelt us with His precious blood. So our sacrifice is to be no less of a victim for Jesus Christ as He was a victim for us. It is the noun, it is the literal sacrifice. Lay your body down upon the altar for Jesus Christ, the one that has already dwelt you through your, through your eternal salvation. Romans 12 and verse 1, we looked at that a little bit yesterday. I won't read it or study it, I just want to quote it. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living Sacrifice. That's what Paul's telling the Philippians here. You are that sacrifice. Not you sacrificing. I'll sacrifice a little bit today. I didn't get overtime today, so I came to work instead. Boy, that was a sacrifice today. It's not talking about doing something for God and you sacrifice something out there. It's not a verb. You are literally the sacrifice that Paul is talking about. And you then have to lay your bodies down a living sacrifice, which then becomes holy, acceptable, and our reasonable service. Why is it reasonable? Because He did it for us. He became a victim for us, and now we are become that victim for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a sacrifice and a service of our faith. Our faith. Remember, message number one was that we have to follow the pastor's what? Faith. Remembering Him, but following after His faith. So, this word sacrifice and this word service, it involves that one word called work. So now the last one, so that third point, the proof of work out our salvation is that one word called work. It's proof. You prove that you're a born-again believer by what you do on the outside, who you are on the outside. Paul had, had explained that we justify, um, we are justified to God by our faith. But we are justified, James says, 
to the world by our works. They don't see our faith. There's nothing confusing when, when James, um, James 2 verse 17, when James says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O man, that faith without works is dead? James is not saying that you have to work in order to have faith. That's not what he's saying. He's speaking on a different context than Paul. Paul's talking about how we're justified before God. We are justified by God by our faith. But we're justified to the world by our works. They don't know your faith. They don't know your heart. They don't see the Spirit of God sealed within you. Jesus sees Himself. He knows who you are. Now we justify what's on the inside to a lost and dying world by working for the Lord Jesus Christ. So the proof, uh, the proof then of work out our own salvation is holding forth the word of life. It's an external event. It's something not on the inside, excuse me, not on the inside, but it is on the outside. You're holding forth. Whether it's literally holding a Bible and presenting it, literally shining forth to a lost and dying world. Literally not having murmuring and disputings. Literally being blameless, harmless, and without rebuke. All of these are literal on the outside. This is how we hold forth the word of life. And it takes work. It takes a lot of work not to murmur and dispute. It takes work that we can become blameless. Because we're all going to fall. We're all going to stumble. We're all going to sin. We're all going to go speeding down the road. We're all going to do something wretched and vile. Where no one is ever going to be perfect. It's not saying to be sinless perfect, but to be blameless means we paid our due. We've got it right. Now we are blameless. And that does take work. It takes humility. When somebody does something, and think about this real quick. If you back into someone in the parking lot, someone's car, nobody else around. You look around, oh, no security cameras either. <laughs> no one has saw you back into that car. What would you do? The flesh says, let's just go on. It takes work to stop and say, I'm going to tangibly do what I need to do that someone knows that I hit them and bumped into their car. When we do something, the only way we are blameless before God and blameless before the world is that we get it right. I taught our girls that when they mess up, they fess up. Just get it over with. It's going to be a lot worse if you don't. Your lie becomes a compounded number of lies. You lie to lie to lie to cover the lie to cover the lie. It just compounds. It makes a mess of everything. Get it over with, but it doesn't feel good either. It's humbling, and that does take work. So proof of our work out our salvation, we are going to be literally doing something on the outside. And in the context of Philippians 2.16, it's holding forth the word of life. So the proof of work out our salvation is a working faith. A working faith. It has to be working. When God saved us by His grace, and that was through faith alone, nothing else, it was for the intent that we then would turn and do something. He did His work that we can be saved. Now we do our work that others can be saved. It is a work. No one can be saved by my work. Nobody can be saved just because you shine a light under them. Nobody can be saved by your testimony. Nobody, if you're, if you're a wife, and Paul uses this illustration, if, if you're a wife married to an unsaved husband, your testimony cannot save that husband, but your testimony can draw them unto salvation. What, when was the last time anybody turned to you and said, huh, what, what about that hope within you? They saw something and they turned and asked you about salvation. I would like to know about your salvation. Why would they ever even ask that if you haven't been working to reveal that unto them? Yep. That they can see uh, Christ in you. A lot of people memorize or Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but very few memorize verse number 10. It takes work. It takes work. Work and working faith. This is the proof of our salvation. It's the proof of us holding forth the word of life to a lost and dying world. Paul told us to work out our salvation through our sacrifice and service of our faith. So the key is faith. The proof is our working faith. Our hindrance is we're not going to, we're either not going to work or we're just going to try and do all of the work, relying on verse 12 and not verse 13, or relying on verse 13 and not verse 12, not getting that balance of trusting God and misplacing our trust either just solely in ourselves or not in God. Then the key being faith and our proof is going to be our work. There's nothing getting around 
works with faith for the born-again believers. If you're not working today, you're not proving to the man of God or to this church that you're even born again. Because we can't see your soul. We can see something on the outside. But what's on the outside needs to be a joy and work and accomplishment as you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith without works is dead. So as we leave this camp, to leave this camp or finish up our messages now, uh, the question then, will you be found by your pastor's side as the errand in the herd? Will you be shining as lights to a lost and dying world alongside your pastor? Will you be found holding forth the word of life alongside your pastor? Context directly of Philippians 2 and verse 16 is all about joy of your pastor. As he runs, and his run is not in vain, his labor is not in vain, he is pointing you as he's caring for your soul. And that is, when you get down to verse number 18, not only that he would joy, but because you are following his faith, mimicking his faith, you then, in turn, are holding forth the word of life, and you, in verse number 18, will be rejoicing, not by yourself, with him. The end of verse 18, Paul said, with me, ye joy with me. So you need to be joying as well. Such a joy to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I could go another hour. <laughs> I could preach and I could teach and give you more. But I trust what God has given to us this week or given to you through these messages will help you understand the context, how to find the examples in the Word of God, how to get what God shows you, get on a true example of how to apply the application of the Word of God to your life that you now can go out holding forth the Word of life as God intends you to do it as you're following after your pastor, the man that God put under you. Let's all stand and bow our heads, close our eyes, go to the Lord in prayer. Praise God for what He has done here this week. If God's touched your heart in any way, a lot has been dumped out. And that's the Spirit of God giving you plenty, plenty of fuel to go to the next camp or the next event. Plenty that you can take out to a lost and dying world. But as everything has been dumped out, the Holy Spirit has let you latch on to something. I don't know what it is in your life, but God has allowed something that's been spoken here, the devotional or the preaching, to touch your heart today. If you're not saved today, if you're not born again, God's got a hold of your heart, and you need to be born again. You know that conviction that's going in your heart right now. If you're a believer today, and you've just allowed your pastor to flounder and do the work alone, then you've been convicted. If you're not that Aaron and her and God wants you to be, you've been convicted. If you're not working your faith, you've been convicted. Whatever it is, get it right with God before you leave this camp that we go out into a lost and dying world with the whole armor of God on because the devil, he's got his fiery darts and fiery darts, they can't go after your soul. He can't have it. He can't have your spirit, but he's after your flesh and he wants to undo everything that God has done here in this camp and in your life since you've been born again. Put on that whole armor of God and follow after your pastor and serve him holding forth the word of life here in Auckland. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your holy word, the power of your word unto salvation. Power of your word, Lord, that we can be sanctified holy here in these bodies of wicked, wretched, old wretched man that I am that Paul said when he spoke of his flesh, the cheapest of sinners. Lord, as all this, we are the same today, wretched and vile in these flesh, fleshly bodies, but you chose us to be your vessels, to hold the purest thing that you left here upon this earth, your holy word that we can hold forth the word of life. Lord, if there's one here that's not born again, convict their heart, Lord. Don't let them have ease at all and, uh, as they know that they're not born again. And other believers, Lord, every one of us have some area in our life that this message has had impacted. They impacted me in my study. They've impacted me in my reviews. They've impacted me even as I preach the word of God. No one here is, is immune from the spirit of God given us all something from the Word of God. I trust that everyone will respond to the preaching of the Word of God today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's, um, let's respond to that message. Um, if the Lord is speaking to you right now, come and respond to that message. Do not let that message go away and forget it afterwards. That is not the case. The Lord is speaking and keep on speaking to us. We need to respond. If the Lord is speaking to you right now, the altar is open. You may come and speak to the Lord. What are you going to say to the Lord after what He has done to you? After what God has 
you know, impress upon your heart. Are you going to harden your heart? Or you are right now come to the conclusion that without Christ, we can do nothing. So come. We cannot do anything without the Lord. He is impressing upon us how much we need Him. And here, the Lord wants us to be faithful, to be honorable. It's all because that is the way forward. That is the word of life. That is what we need in this life. You want to be happy? There's no other place to be happy. Follow God's way. If you have not followed God's way, tell me, are you happy? And I know that you know it, that we are not happy. The only way to be happy is to obey God and His words. Follow, holding forth the word of life. My friend, if that is in your heart this morning, come. Come, do not allow that this altar will be packed up and you have not come. Do not allow that the altar right now is open unto you and you have not come. Do not waste. Because this is not always here just like the Israelites. The pillar of clouds will not, will not always be there. Someday it will be gone. The pillar of fire will not always be there. Someday it will be gone. But while it is there, while the glory of God, the glory of God is not always there. But while it is there, come. Right now, if God is speaking in your heart, speaking to you, then come. Bend your knees. Give it unto the Lord. Ask the Lord. If there is a need for you to ask for forgiveness, oh my friend, this is the place. This is the place. The altar is the place. If there is something that you thank the Lord, oh my friend, the altar is the place. Are you blessed with God's working in your life this week? The altar is the place. Or should we just forget it and be ungrateful to God? I know you are not like that. I know that you also love the Lord. You want to thank the Lord. But there is a proper place to them. The altar. Do not be shy. Do not be shy. All of us right here, we, we have problems with the Lord. Do not be shy. Whatever people may say, it's better that we see those things with the Lord. Come. Give it unto the Lord. Let's continue to pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the message today. Thank you for speaking to us once and again. How much, Lord, we need um, your word. How much, Lord, we need um, things that you impress upon us. Lord, um, as you work in our lives, help us to respond in a proper way. Help us, Lord, that um, things that we have received from you may, may affect change in our lives. Because, Lord, this is the way forward. We want to be happy, Lord, in you. There's no joy. There's no real joy in material things. There's no real joy in this world but you. And, Lord, now we found it. Now we have seen it. And, Lord, I pray that we will instill it in our heart. Help us, Lord, to hold forth the word of life so that we will not run in vain nor labor in vain. And Lord, the labor is for all of us. The working is for all of us. Help us to be faithful in our part because we have found you, Lord, to be faithful on your part. And you have given us an example through your life. And Lord, thank you very much.
much for um, the message this morning and Lord what a rejoicing in our heart what a, a, a boost that we are going to take with us to face throughout the, the month to face throughout the year and Lord um, your word is indeed um, so great and we are so blessed thank you once again for your work bless the people that have come forward Bless them, Lord, of their desire. And thank you, Lord, for speaking to their hearts. And I know, Lord, that even those people who uh, did not come forward, that they also have a desire in them. Please, Lord, attend unto their desire. Attend unto their prayers. Bless all of us, Lord, this morning. Bless all the people that are here in this uh, auditorium. We commit to you everything now in Jesus' name of pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated for our... Praise the Lord for that. And we thank the Lord for um, his working and, and for using Pastor Howell to remind us all of this. My friend, I have always told you that this is the kind of messages that I missed for many, many years. I have not heard, I you know, um, in, in other in other parts of um, the New Zealand um, messages like that that really will penetrate your soul will penetrate your heart and will leave an imprint there that will like in the bank like putting something in your account that time will come in the future you have stored something you have deposited something there that you can use for your own life and that is, you know, the purpose of the camp. That's why I, I was like endorsing you, you know, come, come, come. We will, we will need, we need this. I know that we need this. 